0: Lord is faithful, isn't he not? You know, no matter who you put your trust in, if it's not the Lord at some point, they're going to let you down. Isn't that true? But the Lord is faithful. He will never, he will never let us down. He always follows through with everything that he's ever said he will do. Wow. That's amazing when you think about it. And I also think it's amazing how the words of that song go so well together with the message when this week I didn't send Dennis the message until last night. So, you know that's of the Lord, because we're going to be talking about the promise keeper and what it means to be a promise keeper. It means a little bit more than just being a a guy who meets in a football stadium to praise the Lord. I'm not knocking that at all, but, but to be a promise keeper is an important thing. You know, I've heard it said that the cause of every disappointment in life could be summarized by two words, failed expectations. Isn't that true? When you think about it, every time you're disappointed, you could summarize it with with two words, failed expectation. And I don't think there's anything that's more disappointing than a, than a broken promise. Isn't that true? Because when someone promises you something, you have an expectation. And when that expectation doesn't happen, then you're disappointed. And, uh, and so today, we're going to be talking about promises and broken promises. Now, to be clear, I want to make sure we understand what we're talking about. And I'm talking about any type of verbal agreement. There's multiple words that you can find in Scripture and out of Scripture that we use, but it all refers to the same thing as a promise. Uh, we can talk about a vow. What's a vow? It's a, it's a promise. It's a promise before God and people that you're going to follow through on something. Right? We think of wedding vows, for example. Um, or, or the word swear. swear. Oh, I swear. That I'm doing this. Or we swear in court. What does that mean? We're promising to tell the truth. We're promising that we're going to follow through with what we've been asked to do. Or a treaty. That's a promise of peace, is it not? Or uh, agreement. Or agreement, <laughs> as it says there. Uh, or a contract, right? When you sign a contract, what is that? That's a promise. Uh, or signature. When you put your signature on something, you are making a promise. Or the word commitment, and the list goes on and on. You could talk about oaths or giving your word. But all of this goes back to the same basic concept of making a promise. As we are in our journey with Joshua, we see God teaching Israel some very important lessons. Preparing them for victory. And he's, he's been preparing them. But one of the lessons that he's going to hit on today is this concept of promises. But I want you to understand, this is one of the most important things that we find in Scripture. Did you know when you think of all of the attributes of God mentioned in Scripture, the one that is mentioned more frequently, by far, than any other one, is God's promise-keeping. Did you know that? When you think about it, even the song we sang, when it says He is faithful, what does that mean? He is faithful to do everything that He said he, That's promise-keeping. When, when the, the Bible talks about Him being the faithful God, that's what it's talking about. More than it talks about God being love, and that God is love, more than than talking about God being all-powerful, more than talking about how how omniscient God is, more than his sovereignty, more than any of those things, it talks about the fact that he is faithful. He is a promise keeper. And so it's a very important topic that we come into as we come into Joshua. We're back in chapter 9, Joshua chapter 9, and I want to read a little bit from last week just to, to catch up where we, where we left off from last week. Joshua chapter 9, verses 3 through 6. We read, But the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho at Ai, and Ai. They worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wide skins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua, to, to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Uh, just to get a little bit of background information, uh, uh, what, was, uh, what was going on in those verses, God had told them, when you get into the, the promised land, don't make a treaty with any of the people who live inside the land. Because they would become a snare to you. Then we read in the beginning verses of chapter 9, we read that all of the armies had gotten together and said, we cannot defeat Israel one-on-one, so let's band together and attack God's people together. And we're going to find out how that goes in chapter 10. But here we find this one small city, the city of Gibeon. And Gibeon was in control of three other cities as well. But between between them... They realized, and they had at least the beginning point of the fear of the Lord, because they realized they had no chance of combating the Lord and winning. That seems like a no-brainer for us, right? If you're going to combat the Lord, who's going to win? He's going to win. That God's going to win every time. And, uh, but they recognized that, and so they decided to make a treaty with them, but being from inside the land, they knew it's not going to work. So they pretended like they were from a far-off country. Note the word there, it says, uh, make a covenant with us. Or in some translations, you might use the word treaty. Both are perfectly good translations, but there's our promise word right there in the text. They wanted them to make a promise in hopes that they would keep their end of the bargain, even though it wasn't exactly made eh, the best way, right? So we see that. Today, what I'd like to talk about, then, are principles for the promise keeper. Remember the group that came, that uh, there was, it was a real popular movement for a while, the Promise Keepers? How many of you have heard of the Promise Keepers? Okay, And so groups of men coming together to talk about specific promises. There were seven promises and, uh, uh, that they would keep. I'm not really talking about that, even though there is some overlap in the sense that I'm talking about being a Promise Keeper in the sense of imitating God in the sense that since God is faithful, since God always keeps his word, then if we're going to be godly, what are we going to do? We're going to reflect his image. How do we do that? Number one, by being promise keepers. This is a a very important lesson. It's really the capstone of the lesson for, uh, for Israel because from this point on, we see some major victories take place starting in chapter 10. And so uh, we're going to have some principles for the promise keeper. I want to talk about th- th- three things because with this passage gives us a 360-degree angle of promise keeping. First, there's before, talking about what, to do, what should you do before you make a promise. That's really a key. What should you do before you make a promise? During, what do you do once you've made a promise? And even after, what do you do when, when that trust has been broken. And we see all three of these parts played out in the story today. And so uh, we'll, we'll go from there. And the first one really is a review of everything we talked about last week. Before you make a vow, simply don't make a hasty vow. Don't make a hasty vow. This is what we talked about all of last week as well. Don't make a hasty vow. Let's look at uh, verses 14 and 15 of the same chapter. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, talking about the men of Gibeah, or Gibeon, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So they sampled some of the provisions to say, yeah, that makes sense. They say they're from a long way off, and the mold the bread is moldy, and their shoes are patched, and they have old clothes. So perhaps they did go from a, from a, long, they did come from a long ways away. They did that, but they didn't really push that to the extent that they needed to, right? They didn't check it. They didn't test it. They just said it kind of makes sense. And they quickly, too quickly, agreed. And then then it says uh, in the second verse there, in verse 15, but they did not inquire of the Lord. Folks, when we make big decisions, when we make decisions, before you make a promise, inquire of the Lord. Because we are going to be held to the standard. If we're going to reflect the image of God and he is always faithful, then that's the goal for us too, is it not? To always be faithful with the, with, with the promises that we make. So don't make a hasty vow. Why? Because there is a danger. There is a danger in making hasty decisions. I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, um, but here's an example. Uh, timeshare presentations. How many of you have ever been to a timeshare presentation? Okay. Yeah, I hear enough murmuring to know there's a lot of us that have been to a timeshare presentation. They say it's 90 minutes, right? I don't know what clock they're using, but it's not the same as my watch, right? But in timeshare presentations, and again, I'm not knocking timeshares, but there is a technique, and we've been to a lot of them, because when you're a missionary, you have to pay for your vacations one way or another, and so you sit through a lot of timeshare presentations. I'm just being honest, right? We sat through our share of timeshare presentations. And... Uh, And that's paid for several vacations for us. But there's a technique that I've seen, and I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in every single one, they say, they give you this deal, and they give you this package deal that all sounds really good, and they say, you have to make the decision, though, by today. If you leave here and come back, oh, the price is very different, because we're giving you a very special price today. Isn't that pretty much every time? Yes. And for for you guys, is that your experience too? Why do they do that? Because they know hasty decisions usually are not wise decisions, right? If you make a hasty decision, you're not going to take time to think about it. and, And you don't take time to think about it. There might be things you miss, things that later on would have caused you to say, this is not a great idea. But in the moment, when you see all the numbers and they quickly flash all those numbers and do the math and later on you say, wait a minute, that doesn't exactly add up, right? And you see all that, and, and that's what, what happens Times your presentations. Uh, how about some of those pushy car salesmen? right? It's all about getting your name on the dotted line, right? It's all about that. Now, not all cars, if we have car salesmen in here, don't be offended, I'm not talking about you, I hope. Right? Because there's such thing as an honest car salesman. But what about those car salesmen that are just trying to... to they'll tell you whatever it takes. I remember when, when we wanted to, uh, uh, to get a dog when I was a kid. We wanted to get a dog. And uh, so we went to the pound and, and uh, we said, we want a small, short-haired, indoor dog. And they only had like two dogs with them. And they pointed to one little puppy and they said, uh, that's this one. This is a small, short-haired, indoor dog. Yep. And uh, that dog was not small short-haired or indoor. <laughs> and now we ended up loving the dog and, and, uh, and ruining our furniture and everything else in the house. But, but why? Because they just want you to make that agreement. Why? Because they know hasty decisions are usually not good decisions. So, so before you promise anything, here's just a couple of filters. I have four filters if you want to just jot those down uh, before we get on to, to, to step two. But in application of don't make a hasty vow. Here's four filters. Number one, ask yourself before you, before you agree to anything, before you sign anything, before you make a promise, ask, does God prohibit this? I call this the sin filter. If it's sin, guess what? You already have your answer, right? Uh, for example, maybe a young woman wants to marry a, uh, a young man, but he's not a believer. What does the Bible say about that? It says, be not unequally yoked. And in the context, it's talking about believers and unbelievers. It can't be any more clearer than that. So is it God's will for her to make that vow? No, it's not. Again, we're talking about beforehand now. We're still talking about before you make the vow. Ask yourself, does God prohibit this? Is there anything in Scripture that would tell me I shouldn't do this? That should be the first filter. The second filter that we should have is, uh, is, this, is what I call the wisdom filter. We ask, is it wise? Did you know that there are several things in scripture that are not prohibited, but it's still not wise, biblically, to do, right? For example, the Bible says in Proverbs, borrower is servant to the lender. Does that mean it's always a sin to borrow? If you borrow to to purchase a house, is that sin? No, but you have to recognize when you borrow money from someone, you become a servant to them. So you better make that decision wisely, right? Right? You better make sure that it's something you can afford. And that it's something you can afford if things go wrong. Right? Because when you sign, you sign. And if, if we as Christians reflect the image of God in our promise keeping, and we keep our word, then that will speak, it will be a testimony to the world. Because we live in a world where that's just not the case, isn't it? And, and I think that this is an important part of evangelism, believe it or not for us because we reflect God's image when we keep God's promises so is, is, is it prohibited in scripture is it wise the third one is does it express biblical priorities in other words maybe it's a good investment but when you look at your priorities what's going on and what God says should be your priorities then maybe purchasing a small yacht or something might not be a great expression of your biblical priorities I don't know but nothing in the Bible says you can have, if you have a yacht, it's sin, and I'm not saying that. But, you, but the point is, is we have to make sure that all of our investments, all of our decisions, I'm not just talking about money, but our time, any resources that we have, our talents, what is a good use of that? So before you say, yeah, I'll do, I'll do that, is that a good investment? Is it, does it show your biblical priorities? And the last one, and this comes straight out of what we learned last week, the biggest one, did I inquire of the Lord? Did I inquire of the Lord? Sometimes we might go through those other filters and we don't see that something is a bad decision. But when we ask God, He somehow reveals it to us. Does that make sense? I remember uh, my dad would frequently tell us a story about how he was uh, dating a young woman. Um, uh, he was dating a young Christian woman from the from the church. So he realized it wasn't a sin because she was she's a Christian and 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 so on. He thought it was wise. It made sense. Father was rich. I'm just kidding. (laughs) That was a joke. That was a joke. No, but but he looked. He thought, hey, it's wise. We're at the same place in life and so on. Did it express express biblical priority? Yes, it did. It seemed like it made sense. He he really wanted to be a godly husband and thought she'd be a godly wife. And he just started praying, Lord, I've gone through all my filters. But, Lord, I don't want to do this if it's not what you want me to do. And then one day, uh, they decided to make a meal for someone, and they made a meal for someone, and uh, they decided to to do the dishes afterwards. So, my dad um, uh, would dry the dishes, as she would wash them, she would hand them to him and he would dry them, and he was enjoying the conversation. So, just to keep the conversation going, as he would take the dry plates, he would sneak around behind her and put them back where the dirty plates are, and then he'd come back around. And then uh, she would watch some more, and so then he'd take them, and instead of putting them in, in the cabinet, he'd put them over there, and, and so she just kept going on and on and on. Well, at one point, she realized, she looked back, and she realized, wait a minute, I have just as many plates as when we started, and uh, sitting over here, she realized what did. She blew up, because she had, she, because, because my dad made her do all this extra work. And all of a sudden, my dad started thinking, does she not like to work? I mean, is she not happy working and serving? I mean, to me, I was enjoying it, he said. And that began began kind of some red flags in his mind. He was able to investigate that further and come to find out it would not have been a good match. By the way, my mom is is, is a great hard worker. Just to throw that out there. (laughs) She's always busy serving people. And and you know what? I'm so glad that my dad did that. But you know what? Making a decision like marriage, that's a huge promise, is it not? Not? So I want to speak to the, to the young single people for a moment. Take your time. Don't ever feel like this is the marrying time of my life and if I don't get married right now. No, it is so much better to marry the right person than to marry in the right time. Amen? Okay, make sure you understand that. In fact, I didn't plan on sharing this, but I'm going to share one extra illustration that just came to my mind. What I remember when I was graduating from college, and I was dating a girl, and I just saw that we, were, we just weren't going the same direction in life. I wanted to go into ministry. And, and, um, and so to make a long story short, I broke up with her. And my student advisor, he was one of the professors, he, he came to me and said, Dave, you made a big mistake. Can you come talk to me uh, in the office? And I said, sure. And uh, so I went in thinking, what great wisdom does this professor have? What did I miss? You know, Maybe she is the perfect person for me. I don't know. And he said, David, this is the marrying time. If you don't get married now, who knows? You might not ever get married. And I want to see you go through seminary, he said. He said, and so you need to marry someone now so, so she can pay your way through seminary. <laughs> and so Monica and I got married. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I could say, honestly, with, with, with all my heart, I could say I am a, very glad I didn't follow that advice. A hasty decision is almost never the right decision. And I married Monica, so I did all right, didn't I? (laughs) So, and so this, I mean, that's an important thing to understand why we don't make these hasty, hasty decisions. Let's go on in the text and uh, look uh, at verse 16 through 18 of Joshua. and see what happened. It said uh, in uh, verse 16, And it happened at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, uh, Shephira, Biroth, and Kirjath-Jerim. But the children of Israel did not attack them, because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all of the congregation complained against the rulers. Do you see what's going on here? The Gibeonites lied so that the people of God would make a treaty with them. The people of God didn't do their homework. They should have done their homework, but when all was said and done, they did make that treaty. So now we're switching from the before you make the treaty, what the Bible says about before you make the treaty, and now we're switching gears into during the treaty. Once you've made a treaty, what goes on? And we have this this difference, a conflict. You have the children of Israel saying, They lied to us, right? So let's go over there and let's take them out. So the children of Israel, without orders from their leaders, get up and they go there. It says on the third day. That means there was the day that they made the vow. Then there was the second day when they found out. And by the third day, they were there. So they're, they're, they're acting pretty quick. This is what we call mob rule, right? Mob rule. And there's usually not a lot of wisdom in mob rule, right? And, uh, and then you have the leaders who say, don't, don't kill them. Why? Because we made a covenant, a vow to them. We need to keep that covenant. Here's the question then. Do they have to keep that promise? Do they have to keep that promise? I'm sure that there were several things going on in their minds for why things to justify not keeping that promise. First one that comes to my mind is, we were lied to, Right? How many of you would have asked that question, right? Or thought that? I would have thought that. Hey, wait a minute. They lied to us. They deceived us. Do we really have to keep that promise? Another thought? Well, God told us not to do it in the first place. So if God told us not to make a treaty, and we make a treaty, then what do you do? You have to unmake the treaty. I can understand that argument, right? Or... They could still become a snare to us. Why did God tell us in the first place not to make a treaty with them because they 're going to become a snare to us If we keep this treaty, then one day they 're going to be a snare to us or to our children or to our children 's children right I mean are these arguments that went, would go through your head too I mean i 'll be honest these arguments would go through through my head or we didn 't ask God the first time, so let 's undo it right we didn 't ask him the first time we made the mistake. And oftentimes, you know, just like if you're driving down the road, if you make a wrong turn, you just, you go backwards, right? You go backwards, and you undo it, and you make the right turn the second time. Let's undo the mistake. These are just different things that I'm sure were going through their minds. But I want to remind you that when Pastor Tim spoke, he talked about them renewing the covenant, and part of that renewal process is they read the entire law. I want to read a couple verses that came out of that law once again. In Leviticus 19, 12, we read this. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So when you swear in the Lord's name falsely, what are you doing? You're profaning his name. You see, our behavior not only affects our reputation, but as soon as we put the word Christ on our name, call ourselves Christians, what are we saying? We're saying we are reflections of Christ. And when we don't keep our vows, if we don't keep our vows, we are profaning the name of Yahweh, his holy name. Does that make sense? Wow. Strong words. We can go forward to Numbers chapter 30. It says, If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement... He shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Wow, if the Leviticus passage was tight. This is even tighter. It's, he's got, he has to do all of it. In fact, it even defines making a vow before the Lord. There's our promise word, or swears. There's another promise word, or oath. Another promise. Bind himself. Another promise word. This is all about even says even if he just makes some type of agreement. God's saying, this is all one category, people. Right? This is all one category. What does he do? He has to keep everything. He has to do everything that proceeds out of his mouth. Yeah, but what about if they lied to us? Leviticus 5.4 says, Or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath, and he is unaware of it when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. What does that mean? Even if you didn't do your homework. You give your vow. You give your word. You've got to keep it. Is, am I preaching this or is, it, or is this God preaching this? Right? Now, I'm, I'm just a messenger, right? This is God saying in his word, if, even if you're deceived. If, because you don't do your... If you make the vow thoughtlessly, then guess what? You need to keep it. All the more reason, right? To make sure we don't make... Hasty vows. We don't make hasty vows. We say, Pastor Dave, that's Old Testament. Well, let's go to the New Testament. How about the words of Jesus? Jesus said, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you, you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You see what was going on in, in, in this point? The, the Pharisees and their legalism said, well, the Bible says we have to keep our oaths before the Lord. Our oaths made to the, in the name of the Lord. So what we got to do, all we have to do, if we don't want to really keep our vows, don't make them in the name of the Lord. We can say, well, maybe by the Lord's city, Jerusalem. I swear by the Lord's city, Jerusalem. Or I swear by the footstool of Yahweh. Or I swear by this or that. That's no different than what kids do these days by swearing like this. You ever seen that? Where they cross their fingers as if some kind of technicality means we don't have to follow the spirit of the law. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, if you say yes, it better be yes. If you say no, it better be no. Is that a high standard? That's a high standard. But it's the most, uh, it's, it's the most talked about attribute of God. It's the most required attribute for his followers. It stands to reason. And so we, we see that concept. So I ask you once again, did they have to keep that promise? Yes. Yeah, they didn't do their homework. Now, I know there's, there, there are places, there are times in contracts where part of the contract says, if you can't keep up with the contract, here's the way out. You're still following the contract when you do that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about simply, if you don't do your homework, like it says, make a thoughtless vow, it doesn't matter. You are held to that. I've talked to people who said, uh, oh, you know what, I, I made a, a lousy decision when I married so-and-so, so I'm going to undo that decision. Wait a second. Let's rethink that for a moment. So that's why it's so important to to, uh, to make vows with time and thought, inquiring of the Lord. How many of you in here are married? Raise your hand. Okay, I see a lot of hands. I see it. Connor, I don't think you're married yet. So <laughs> Not hopefully I'm married, genuinely married. Okay, so so you know then. You know that when we, when we stood up here on the altar of whatever church or wherever you were at, we said uh, something along the lines of, uh, well, the, the preacher or the pastor said something along the lines of, you promised to love, honor, and cherish your spouse. The image that you had in mind and the reality that follows isn't exactly the same. Is that, is that true? Okay, I know men are saying, I better not say it. My wife's right here. <laughs> I don't really want to, I'm not saying a thing. It's, true. it's actually something better. We don't realize it at first because what we find is marriage is putting two selfish people together and God uses that to help us learn how to be selfless and it, it becomes something better. But you know what? It isn't what we thought it would be all the time. In fact, I found this uh, um, uh, this little cartoon that says... Uh, do you promise to love, honor, cook for, clean up after, surrender your share of the covers, live with, live with foul-smelling flatulence, uh, give up uh, the power of the remote, and wipe up pee from the toilet seat for all the days of your life? Now, if a pastor said that, how many, how many runaway brides do you think we would have? <laughs> right? But sometimes there's some reality to that, right? There's some reality to that. The point is, you make your vow. You do all the homework, and I, I encourage you, if you're single, do all the homework you can before you make that vow. But once you make that vow, live by it. That brings us to the, to, the, to the second point, which is keep your promises, even if, dot, dot, dot. What do I mean by that? You fill in the blank, all right? You fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. If you've made a vow, keep it. But, but what about keep it? But I didn't know that. Keep it. Even if. Dot, dot, dot. Amen? And so we have, we've got to keep it. And um, Let's go on and see what happens then in verse, uh, verses 19 through 21 of Joshua. Verses 19 through 21. See if they, if they kept the vow. Then all the rulers said to the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel now, therefore, we may not touch them, This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the rulers said to them, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. So we begin to see beforehand, we need to make sure we don't make hasty vows. During, we need to keep our vows no matter what. But to to hit this, this last section here, we understand, first of all, the Israelites got it. Did they follow through with their vows? And yes, there was a conflict between the leaders and the people. But once they sat down and they, they d- decided, did they keep their vows? They did. And we're going to see this being a turning point in the history of Israel. We're going to see some, uh, some pretty amazing things happen in the next few weeks. And we see, we see that take place. But for the last principle, I want to look at it from the exact opposite perspective. From the Gibeonites' perspective, they had broken their word. Had they not? They made vows and they, they promised, oh, this is, this is where we're from. This is, what, this is why everything looks the way it looks. They broke the trust of the Israelites. Now, is that without consequence? I don't think so. I don't think so. In fact, uh, let's go and read the, the last portion of the chapter. Starting verse 22. Then Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying we are very far from you when you dwell near us? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, and water carriers for the house of my God. You know, we see that they did keep their lives. Their lives were spared, but the quality of their life was lowered. Wasn't that? Joshua asked... The question, why did you lie to us? Why did you do that and, and i 'm sure the answer is what well you 're not supposed to make treaty with people, but there 's a lesson that we learn in the life of Rahab that if they had applied that, would have made all the difference in the world. Was Rahab a Jew no Rahab was a prostitute in the city of Jericho, but she noticed something that everyone else did not notice, and these are parallel stories if we look at them together. Just like Rahab saw that everyone in her city was afraid of God, so they were ready to fight God, she said, I'm afraid of God and we can't fight God. And that was the beginning of wisdom for her. So she she protected the spies and then she was assimilated right into Israel. Right? We see that happen. Now we see the Gibeonites at a larger scale, the exact same thing happening. We We see all the nations around saying, hey, let's band together because we're afraid of what God can do, so let's fight God together. And then you have the Gibeonites in a few small cities saying, no, no, wait a minute, we're, we're afraid of him. But instead of doing what Rahab did and, and, and doing things honestly, what, is, what, do, what do the Gibeonites do? They deceive. And so they have the beginning of wisdom. And so he says, you know what, we're going to keep our vow. Your lives are spared. But you're going to start on the low end of the pole. You guys are going to be the woodcutters and water carriers of society. And so we see that, that interplay uh, between those concepts taking place right there. You know, as water carriers and woodcutters, it was great for them to at least have their life. But we compare that to Rahab, who assimilated right into the people of Israel. In fact, God used the line of Rahab for the line of his son. You go to Matthew chapter 1. You'll see Rahab's name in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Why? Because in God's mind, when you accept the Lord, you accept the true God, it doesn't matter what your racial background is. Amen? I mean, uh, just today, I I mean, I don't know how many of us have any Jewish background, but how many of you have something besides Jewish background in in your blood? Okay, I think it's all of us, right? Well, guess what? We're Gentiles then. And it doesn't matter. We're believers. We're God's people. We're his family. You know, and I, I'm excited about, about reaching the different races, the different ethnicities that are in our neighborhoods because we've got a lot of them here. Amen? In fact, uh, right after service, uh, we're having a luncheon with uh, the Karen people. Looking forward to that. And uh, for, if anyone wants to swing by and say hi, uh, I don't know if there's enough tacos for everybody, but, uh, but if you want to swing by and say hi, th- because they're people just like us. Amen? And, uh, and so the race has nothing to do with it. What had everything to do with it was who was their God. They could have had every, They could have become assimilated right into the people of God, but instead, this, is, this was their consequence. Number three, the last thing, if one's trust is broken, accept the consequences. In fact, if, if I had more space, I would have written this. Uh, accept the, the consequences and start rebuilding that trust. You know, when, when we break someone's trust, because we aren't God, we're going to try and reflect the image of God, but we're going to break God's trust. Like the song said, God is the only one who is 100% faithful. He's the only one. So we're going to break. If you put your trust in me as your pastor, at some point I'm going to let you down. I'm going to be honest. So don't put your trust here. Put your trust in God. Amen? Uh, if you put your trust in your spouse, you know what? Your spouse may be a godly person. At some point they're going to let you down because they're human. But when we do when we do find ourselves in that situation where we have fallen, then you know what? Accept the consequences. Realize trust takes a long time to be built and it falls apart so easily does it not all it takes is one lie and then the person that you've lied to has to rethink about everything you've ever said to them and wonder if it's true or not right and so take the time rebuild the trust humble yourself because you've got to rebuild that that credibility we're going to see that happen over the history of the Gibeonites. we're going to see that happen. I don't have time to go through all of that today, but I want to finish by just by talking about how important is this concept of promise keeping. How important is it? And there's two uh, two observations, and we'll, and we'll close with this. Number one, when Israel learned this lesson, God blessed them with the greatest victory ever. Honestly, I can't. I'm chomping at the bit. I can't wait to get into chapter ten, right? Because we see God doing some phenomenal. Things. But why? It's because we see in the history of Israel, as God is teaching them lessons along the way, He gets to this capstone, He teaches them they need to hold to their vows, and all of a sudden things move in a whole new direction. Secondly, this is it's also the deciding factor between blessing and cursing. You say, Well, Pastor Dave, how do you get that? Well, let's fast forward just for a moment. Several hundred years. Second Samuel chapter twenty-one, verse one, we read this. Now, there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. Let's just stop there for a moment. When there's a famine in the land, the economy's not doing so well, right? Things are hurting. People are hurting. If you get three years of famine, that's bad. Three years in a row, that's really bad, right? It's very difficult to come back from that. And so God allowed that to happen. And then David did exactly what we talked about last week. What does it say? It says, and David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered. He's faithful that way, isn't he? It "It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house. Why? Because he killed the Gibeonites. Who were the Gibeonites? The Gibeonites were the people that we read about in Joshua 9. They had made a vow not to kill them. Saul breaks that vow because in his mind, these are Gibeonites. They're not really one of us. So he has no problem... Killing multiple Gibeonites, and God says, that's it. I cannot bless my people if the king is not keeping his vow. Is that strong? We read then in the passage David David finds out about this and he acts, he avenges the Gibeonites, he actually delivers some of the members of Saul's family to them uh, to the, the Gibeonites. And at the end of that passage in chapter uh, 21 verse 14, second half it says, So they, that's the people that David sent out, performed all that the king had commanded. And after that, God heeded the prayer for the land. Wow, wait a minute. Does that mean that God was not heeding their prayers for the land because they weren't keeping their vow? Yes, it does. And so think, I mean, there are people who are earnestly praying, Lord, heal our land. This is our third year in a row. We can't handle this anymore. We pray for our land, and God's saying, I'm, I'm not listening to that. Now, he hears everything. Uh, for my Spanish-speaking friends, it's like the difference between escuchar and hacer caso. Uh, it's the difference between listening in the sense, I know what they're saying, and listening, like when we say, our children aren't listening to us. That means they're not obeying. They're not following through. And it's saying, like God was not listening or heeding their prayers. Why? Because they weren't keeping their vows. Now, I'm sure God, God still blesses individuals as individuals, and he blesses communities as communities, but as a community, he was not blessing them because they, as a community, were not keeping their vows. The moment when David avenged the Gibeonites, God says, oh, now I'll heed the prayer. And he lifted the famine, and they experienced the time again. God's blessing. I think of how many times in life do we miss out on things that God has for us. Why? Because we're not in a position where God can bless us. We're not vow keeping. We're not keeping the things that God's asked us to to do. And so, so that's where we see the importance, the gravity of this topic. Keeping the vows. Well, what about you? Let me ask you just a couple questions to think through on your own. What hasty promises have you been making? Are there decisions that you've been making in life, promises that you've been making with people that you have not been taking to the Lord? Or maybe even you haven't been doing your homework to make sure it's a wise decision. Is that you? Then confess that to the Lord today and promise that you'll you'll ask him before you make, make major steps in life. Number two, what kind of promises don't you keep? Switch to the, the the during section here. What promises don't you keep? Are there any promises in you, that you make? You say, ah, well, yeah, but I don't keep this one because... Or do you promise to take your kids to the zoo or something like that? And, and then, well, you know, but uh, I'm a little behind on on something else. Or I didn't realize the, the big game was that day. So come on, kids, we'll do that a different day. Destroying their trust. You're not reflecting the image of God. Um... What kind of promises don't you keep? I'd like to follow up question to that. What false reasons do you use to excuse that? Because they're all false reasons, are they not? We need to obey. We need to keep our promises even if dot, dot, dot. So what's the false reasonings? What, what, What do we use? And Then when you've blown your trust, are you humble enough to rebuild it? You're going to fail. We all fail. That's why we have God's grace, and God forgives us. But when we blow, when we blow it, are we humble enough to repent of it and start rebuilding that trust? And I know. I think of, of marriages that are sometimes in a state of disrepair, and if if they would follow this, I've seen I've seen them come full circle. I can tell you story after story of of couples that I know that you would never know the troubles they went through. But it started with one person saying, you know what? I've blown it. I accept the consequences. I'm going to have to try and rebuild this trust. And they do it. And God blesses that too. Oh, the Israelites, they messed up. They were never supposed to make that treaty. But when they kept that treaty, they did it for the Lord. And God blessed that. Amen? And so you don't ever have to be perfect. You don't ever have to feel like I have to live up to some standard and if I fall, then it's, then, then it's time to give up. No, you're going to fall. But keep the standard where it is. Don't lower the standard. Keep the standard where it is because this is a very high standard of promise keeping that the Bible gives us. Is it not? It's a very high standard. Keep the standard where it is. But when you fall, humble yourself, confess it, and start building trust. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes just for a moment. And I want you to just spend a moment with, with the Lord. Before, before we sing, I just want to ask you a question. Are, is there anyone here, maybe you're like the Gibeonites in the story. Maybe you're not like the Israelites yet. Maybe you're like the Gibeonites who recognized that there was a God. They recognized the power of God, but they never had accepted him as their God. You know, may, there may be someone in this room today that, like the Gibeonites knows there's a God. That's why you're here. But you've never come to that point where you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. I've got great news for you. You don't have to leave here today without knowing for sure that you have a relationship with God and that you'll have that relationship with him for eternity. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to come forward when you sing and just come and, and talk to me. Just, just come and talk to me. And I'll make sure that someone shows you from God's word how you can know for sure you have eternal life. For those of you who know for sure you're believers, I want to talk to you for a moment. Is the Lord talking to you about your decisions, about your promises, or maybe a broken promise that you need to go make right? If the Lord's talking to you about any of those things, you don't have to come talk to me and, and share what you're going through, although I'd be glad to talk with you, but just come forward and just, between you and God, when we pray, just pray it to the Lord. And let the Lord deal with you in whatever way he wants you to as we sing together and pray, as soon as, pray- as, as, as soon as we're done praying. Christ's name. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for your word because of the way it pierces our heart. Lord, I would love to be able to say that, that we as a church, even as me as an individual, Lord, have never failed you but that's not true. Lord, our standard, if I'm honest, our standard of integrity has been way too low. We have not kept all of our promises. Lord, I pray that you would help us to reflect your glory to the world by becoming promise keepers. Lord, as husbands and wives, may we be faithful to our vows. In our business dealings, Lord, may we keep everything. As your word says, everything that proceeds out of our mouth happen. Lord, as we deal with our kids, neighbors, schoolmates, whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that our yes would be yes and that our no would be no. So that today we make that commitment to you. And I pray this in Christ's name.